You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. To Twibley, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he's seen a peanut stand, he's seen a rubber band, he's seen just about everything. It's Mr. Jeff McLarge Huge. But I've never seen an elephant fly. Isn't that where that song goes? I think yes, it, it, I yes, think it, it is. is. Yeah. Yep. How you That's doing? From, the, from Dumbo! Dumbo. Flying Elephant. And uh, just the other day, we had Bill, the flying podcast host. I, <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, for the first time since before the pandemic, I was on an airplane. How was it? What was it like? Uh, Tell the audience, Bill. Let's see. Let's let's rewind a little bit. The last time I had flown, and the majority of the times I have flown, I don't fly very often. I, I think mm-hmm. I've established I like doing the road trip thing. Yes. Not that I'm afraid of flying. I'm not. I just like the road trip. It's, it works out a lot cheaper and it's to me it's more interesting. But yes. we were going to St. Louis for the trade show for the Haunted House Association. Right. I handed out lots of cards for the podcast while I was there. So hopefully we have some new listeners. Good. Hi guys. So, <laughs> so anyway, the last time I had flown was in 2018. I had flown to Florida. So the majority of times I've flown in my life, I've flown to Florida. I've flown mm-hmm. out to Las Vegas. That's it, really. Uh, so right. this is my first time flying to St. Louis. This is going to be a quick intro to the show because it was pretty non-eventful. wasn't really a lot to talk about. Right. I, as I established, am not afraid of airplanes. My travel right. partner, Mike, is afraid of airplanes. He had a bad flying experience when he was like 11. Like, I don't know what happened, but he said the masks came down and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's, that's, that's never good to see. No. And he says, I've flown, you know, plenty of times since then. He goes, but it's never pleasurable experience. It's always nerve-wracking just because of, you know, what happened when he was a kid. Mm -hmm. Now, myself, I'm not afraid of flying. I'm terrified of airports. Airports? Yeah. I don't do great. I'm always super nervous that I'm going to mess something up. Oh, okay. I've never messed anything up except for once. And it was like one of my first times flying I think it was the first time I flew by myself. There uh, used to be a skateboard company called Serial Killer. Yeah. And I had one of their t-shirts because I thought it was funny. And I really didn't think anything of it. And I was wearing the t-shirt. Now, mm-hmm. keep in mind, this is before 9-11 too, right? Right. Yeah. Not 9-11 too. Not like there was a sequel. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> so this is before 9-11 as well. So I'm wearing this t-shirt. It says Serial Killer on it. And... Security before there was TSA, there was just airport security. He goes, serial killer, huh? And, you know, you've met me. I'm a bit of a goofball. So I was like, well, I'm not really a serial killer, but I play one on television. That was it. That was enough to get me frisked, searched, all my bag emptied out and all that. Yep. Oh. Yeah, they did detain me, but they did pick me out to, to search me, you know. Yep. Uh, so that wasn't f- 
that wasn't fun. So no. I'm always afraid that something else like that is going to happen. Uh, the last couple of times that I've had to fly was to like to Las Vegas, to Florida. It's always sort of been, I find myself in the plane generally focused on whatever book I'm reading because it's the only time I can be uninterrupted for a few hours and just like mash through a book. But I, I always find myself about halfway through wherever that trip is going thinking, I envy the amount of space they had on the plane in the movie Airplane. I wish <laughs> I would prefer to be on that plane, even though everybody is dying of food poisoning, just, just to have enough space to like take in a full breath because right. it's so cramped. And I'm not a giant guy by any stretch of the imagination. Don't let my last name fool you as I may be named McLarge I'm actually sort of average to short. That's sort of more me. It's I can't get comfortable and I'm always seated next to somebody who's generally unhappy that I'm seated next to them unless they know me and I'm often traveling by myself. So they don't right. generally. Yeah, the guy on the way home, the guy that was sitting next to me, I wanted to sit as close to the front as I could just because right. of my travel partner. So we could just get the hell out of there as fast as we could. Right. You know? So there was these two empty seats and I was like, uh, is it all right if we sit here? He's like, it's not my flight. I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, what? And he's like, yeah, go ahead. And yeah. uh, he was just not into the fact that we were sitting next to him. It's like, well, right. sorry, dude. It's the Southwest. No assigned seats. So wherever we want. And I want to sit next to you. Who doesn't want yeah. me to sit next to but you, my, so. I said, it's not like put my hand on his legs out of his knee. You mind if I put, you mind if I put the, the armrest up so we can snuggle? Yeah. <laughs> hey, where you going? You ever see a grown man naked? <laughs> hey, do you like gladiator movies? <laughs> <laughs> For me, uh, like the, la the the funniest experience I ever had on a plane, I was on my way back from Virginia. I was the last person to get on the plane. That's a whole nother story. And anyway, everybody was mad at me and the person that I was with because they were leaving late because we couldn't be found. I'm in the very last seat on the plane and I'm squeezed between these two guys who better fit the last name McLarge Huge. One of them is reading like a James Patterson book from the store inside the airport. James Patterson, a really fast read. So I'm sitting there bored out of my mind reading his book over his shoulder <laughs> and he realizes that I'm reading along with him. And he starts asking me, like, change the page? And I said, yeah, yeah. So he finishes the page. He changed the page. I'm like, yeah, I'm already I'm already done. So every, it's like 10 pages, he changed the page. I'm like, I'm ready, you know? And I said, yeah. you can just change it as you read, because I think I read faster than you do. So he would do this thing where he would nod his head before he changed the page. And if I didn't make <laughs> a noise, then he changed it. And I read the whole book on the, on the way back from Virginia over his shoulder. It was super That's funny. Like one of those... Book and record things when we were kids. Boom, yeah. Turn the page. Turn the page. Before we get into the show proper, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff, you ever seen the movie The Matrix? I have seen The Matrix exactly one time. I've, yeah, you're one up on me. Actually, no, I, I did see The Matrix and not my genre, but whatever. Uh, you know, in the beginning of The Matrix and kind of like famously, there's that like green digital rain with all the code and stuff like that. Yes. That code can actually be decoded. And if oh. you decode that code, what does it come out to? Please go see Speed Racer. <laughs> no? No. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll tell you at the end of the show. Yeah, you'll guess is what you'll do, but you'll that's get it what wrong. That's I'm going to do. More All than right. likely. So this is the week beginning, March the 13th. And the other code from Matrix 2 says, it's just turn to start. Oh, man. Already? March 13th, 1992, the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, rules that media companies can now own 30 AM and 30 FM stations. 
where they in the past could only own up to 12. This is the beginning of the real media consolidation here in the United States, where wow, companies right. like Clear Channel Communications would come into market, and if the yep. market had more than 40 radio stations, they could buy 15 stations. Right. If the market only had 30 radio stations, they could buy 13 stations. So there was all these numbers that played out what they could own, to the point where they could own 50% of the market. I remember that being like a big deal, because... Radio stations were always kind of like local things, yep. you know, privately owned, yada, yada. Yes. Something else that was like kind of cool back then is for someone like me that likes to do the road trip is as you travel, it would be interesting to listen to radio stations because around here, we're kind of used to the one, I mean, there's not many radio stations, but the one big one, 94 HJY, you know, the, the rock station. But, the home of rock yeah, and roll, yeah. But their rotation isn't exactly stellar, you know? Right. So whenever you get out of their area and you start getting into other areas of the country, you start hearing different music, you know? Right, I remember yes. my first time going to Florida in 1990. We were at Disney, uh, Disney World, uh, downtown Disney, and they were playing the radio station WDIZ. Uh <laughs> Bet they had to fight hard for those letters. I'm, but I'm anyway, sure. Yeah, they played a lot of Queen. Okay. I know the movie Bohemian Rhapsody kind of like brought back Queen's popularity, but I mean, to hear that much Queen was like, it was very different. And it right. wasn't just like We Are the Champions either. That was the first time I had ever heard the song I'm in Love with My Car. It was mm -hmm. on the radio. Right, right, right. I think for me, the real noticeable difference is a lot of the stations that I was listening to in the early 90s, WAF, WFNX, a couple of other Boston yeah. stations, there were some college stations as well that ultimately very, very quickly ceased to exist. So they were either undone by these sort of bigger conglomerated stations that could reduce ad rates and draw business away from the smaller stations, the independent stations, or they lost their talent to these bigger companies who then after a period of a right. couple of years in the market was reduced. They let those people go and automated the, like the record management and they automated some of the DJ and shifting and other things so that so many fewer stations had to exist to play ultimately what would become three or four different types of music, sort of middle of the road. Everybody sort of likes it. Older demographic pop music for kids, pop, uh, hot, you know, sort of hit radio a country right. station, maybe a hip-hop station, and that's really it. And that's all that there is in the marketplace. There's no weird, like, syndicated shows. There's no weird, like, one local guy who does some crazy thing on, like, Saturday nights. All of that has right, just disappeared. Right. I mean, terrestrial radio on the whole has disappeared. Last time I was down driving around in Florida, I was trying to flick through the stations to find something interesting to listen to because, like I said, traditionally I had found very interesting music down there. Right. And all it was was country and religious programming. Right. And sometimes both. Right. And depending on how far south you get, the Miami Sound Machine. <laughs> All right. Moving on to the 14th, March the 14th of 2005. YouTube, my favorite TV station, is activated. <laughs> ah, YouTube. Where would I be without your unskippable ads? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of videos that I like. A lot, I watch a lot of Saturday Night Live on YouTube at yes. work, and they don't have skippable ads. You have to sit there for the first, you know, the full. You know, 15 to 20 seconds. And you know what? That's fine. It's hilarious that, you know, regular network TV that we all grew up with 
has probably about three to four minutes worth of commercials three times every half hour. The amount of commercials that we see on YouTube and a lot of the same ones over and over again is way, 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 way more, way more than you see on regular TV. I don't know if it's as bad down where you are, but here in New Hampshire, up until very recently, was the first in the nation primary state. Political ads absolutely infest YouTube for seven months before any major election. So midterms or presidential election or whatever. And they get Uh. increasingly crazy and long as the season goes on. So ultimately, I want to watch a a three-minute clip of Wet Leg playing a song. And the first two and a half minutes of Unskippable Ad is, John Sanudu wants to steal your money and feed (laughs) it to a bear. You don't want a bear to eat your money, do you? Like, oh my God, already. Jeez, play the video. As I said, YouTube has become my favorite television show. I I watch that on TV more often than like probably anything else. Even though I pay for Netflix, I pay for Hulu. Right. I have cable television as of this recording. That might have changed by now. I end up watching YouTube more than anything else. Probably because like the videos, after you get through the unskippable ads, they're shorter. You know, it's like, do I want to sit down and watch a half an hour program? No, I want to watch <laughs> three 10 minute programs is what I want. Right. Do you have a particular favorite YouTube like station or person that you that you always watch or is or do you focus more on like Saturday Night Live sketches and that sort of thing? Well, no, no Saturday Night Live is at work. No, I watch a lot of wrestling. Mm-hmm. There's like three wrestling ones that I go to. Regularly, yep. Uh, my favorite one is called Wrestle Talk. They're from England, oh. and there's this other guy that I watch that does these like deep dives, usually over half an hour, about old video games. He'll spend an entire episode talking about the origins, and then he runs down all the home system versions of the same, you know, arcade game. Right. And yeah, he, he does a real long deep dive, and he's. Not necessarily funny, but he does make it entertaining and informative. Ah. Ah. Okay, cool. And, you know, and being Generation X growing up with a quarter bunch of video games, all that has got a real fun nostalgia for me. I do watch some video game stuff. Mostly I, I find myself watching people play games that I like to play because <laughs> it's easier than playing them. So I'm like, oh, I'll watch somebody play IL-2 Starmovic rather than have to go get my joystick out and set my keyboard up and try to remember the key bindings and put on my headset and... And all this other stuff, I'll just like, ah, watch these guys play. I get the same exhilaration from that. But I also watch a surprisingly large amount of, of videos of a guy who trims cow's hoofs. Yeah, I, don't I, know I was why. just about to bring that up. I was about to bring that up. I was about to say, you still watching, watching some guy cleaning, like, cow hooves? I do. Yes, I watch you every single new video of that guy that comes out the hoof GP. I watch every single I can tell you which ones are which. Like, oh, that, that, that cow's got a big pussy sore underneath his hoof. Watch. You know, it's, it's do awful. You, do you subscribe <laughs> and ring the bell for notifications? I do. Ah, I love it. <laughs> I do. I feel, so, I feel so dumb after I watch like 25 of them in a row. You I know? feel dumb hearing about it. Uh, All right. Awesome. Let's move on to the 15th. March 15th, 1967. The first laws that concern bootlegging or anti-bootlegging are enacted. And what that means is... The first law is to prevent people from taping events that they're not authorized to record. So concerts and stuff. Yeah, I mean, the original bootlegging was would be talking about liquor, but this yeah, is not this a liquor is, law. This nope. is going to concerts with the tape recorder shoved down your pants, which I did not spend most of my concerts uh, from age 18 to 20 doing. I think it was less... 
this was less of an issue for like, I mean, 1967, if you wanted to tape something, you had to bring an Ampex reel-to-reel tape deck, which is about six feet by four feet and needs a really long cable to connect to a generator so that you could record onto tape because they were not, they were not cheap. I think this is more like for venues who would be recording or people who set up an Ampex tape deck at the sound station where the concert was taking place and make their own recording and then press them and bootleg and sell them. This was to provide penalties and or sort of codify a law that makes it illegal to do that. I used to work for a bootlegger. Did you? Uh, like I said, in between yeah, 18 and 19. And there was a whole network of it too. So, you know, we'd go to concerts, tape the concerts, and then go to conventions and sell the concerts. Right. Some of them sounded better than others, but most of the time it would be like a trading thing. And mm-hmm. I think in the big box of cassettes that I have like underneath my desk over here, I think I still have some of those shows. Interesting. I have some CDs that I've bought from, uh, I don't know if it's less than reputable record stores. I mean, because mm-hmm. a lot of places that sell used records, you, sometimes you never know what you're going to get. Right. And I have a couple of like weird death metal CDs from Sweden for bands that I know only lasted for maybe one record where I have uh-huh. their live performance here in the United States. It's like, I'm not sure this was recorded <laughs> illegally. <laughs> um <laughs> Or released legally, because there's no liner notes on the picture of the band that's just shoved into the CD case, you know, and it says, you know, it's got staples on it for the label. But uh, you still find them out there now and then, depending on what they are and where they're from, which is interesting. Yeah, there was actually, uh, at one time we had gone to a convention in Boston Mm -hmm. over at the Howard Johnson's Hotel on the top floor, and my friend had a table, and I worked the, the then we were selling concerts and trading concerts to people. It was like a thing that even though that's like inherently illegal, they had a convention for it. Right. Well, it used to be when I went to science fiction conventions. I mean, we're not talking now bootleg music, but we're talking bootlegs of Godzilla movies and anime right. and other science fiction properties. They were all over the place. In fact, I think I still have a couple of VHS tapes of Godzilla movies that I bought before they were available here legally. And now people just upload them to YouTube. Now they just put them on YouTube where you can watch Bob Smith watch to set your house on fire. Vote no <laughs> on Bob Smith before you get to watch Godzilla. March the 16th, 1974, in our ongoing attempt to rehabilitate the image of President Richard <laughs> Milhouse Nixon. March 16th, 1974. Richard Milhouse Nixon plays the piano for the opening of the new Grand Old Opry Theater playing God Bless America. Oh, I'm sure that sounded astonishing when he did that. Hey, the guy could bowl, so who says he can't (laughs) play piano? Who says says it? Well, I'm sure he can play piano. I just wonder, you know, what his, could he carry the tune? I think he just played the piano. I don't think he sang. Oh. Oh, I, yeah, I suppose that would make way more sense. It would, would be funny if he, I wish there was a bootleg of that. Of him oh, playing yeah. the piano and singing. On YouTube, you know. yeah. yeah. Well, we can put it up on YouTube, exactly. And and I would think she's that if he was going to... flag, she's a high-flying flag. <laughs> do, you like, do you like that one? I learned it from Elvis. <laughs> I would think that if he had to do a set, he could have done, you know, God Bless America yep. in the jailhouse now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe 16 tons. We're going to do... Money, that's what I want for my good friend Spiro Agnew. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's really funny. I think I brought this up before. Richard Nixon in his uh, in his later years was a big fan of like hip hop, yeah, rap. Now I know it's only 1974, but just like picture 
Nixon out there. Like, it's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, I'd love to hear him say, like, have, you, have you picked up the new iced tea record? It's really something. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the 17th. Ah, March 17th, or as the world knows it, St. Patrick's Day. Day of many parades and and green. uh, and greenness. Uh, it's it's a day attributed to a Catholic saint, St. Patrick, who was kidnapped from the um, Britain and brought to Ireland by Irish pirates. And his story, sort of the religious aspect of his story, dies off for me at that point because I didn't go to Catholic school, so I'm going to have to defer to Bill. I'm sure he, right, so, he, he resurrected a leprechaun or something. No, no. Uh, apparently, he was canonized because he drove all of the snakes out of Ireland, which is a curious skill to have since there are no snakes in Ireland. It must have been I, really I, hard, too, because there were no cars back then either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and there's no bridge. <laughs> so I want to be canonized as St. William because I drove all the Bengal tigers out of New Bedford. Uh, <laughs> oh, good call. Yep. I'm not Irish, although the spit in the test tube thing there in 23andMe tells me that I am, you know, somewhat Irish. I, my family's all French-Canadian, but apparently a lot of French-Canadians are secretly Irish, so oh. here I am. Well, they say everybody's kiss Irish. Kiss me, I'm Irish, day. Jeff. Right. Kiss me on the mouth with your mouth. No, and, and <laughs> no, never. No, 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 no. All right, let's get out of St. Patrick's Day and get out of here. To coincide with uh, St. Patrick's Day, uh, the 17th is also Corned Beef and Cabbage Day. <laughs> Which is pretty much St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, the, exactly. The menu yeah, for St. Patrick's Day, yes. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, it's a synonym. Right. All right. Uh, when I was still a consumer of animal flesh, that yep. was always the meal that I made on St. Patrick's Day, ever since I became an adult and lived not with my parents. So. All right, so moving on to the 18th, March the 18th, 1931, Schick Incorporated displays the electric razor for the first time. Oh. And it didn't work then either. Yeah. What an art deco, terrible des- designed piece of garbage those things are in general. I'm speaking of all okay. electric razors. There are things that should just never be electric, and that's one of them. Yeah. I have an electric beard trimmer that works like magic, you know? But, I mean, it doesn't give you a shave, like, right down to the skin like a Mm -hmm. razor would. Right. But sometimes if I have too heavy of a shave, that's going to, like, if I'm going to shave with a razor, I'm probably going to cut myself or it's going to take a little bit of time. I will quickly do it with my beard trimmer, you know, right down to the zero. However, uh, I don't own an electric razor because I have owned electric razors. And like I said at the beginning, they don't work. When I was a teen, my mom gave me a travel Norelco, which is like a two blade spinning blade Norelco razor that you plugged in. And it went approximately 50,000 RPMs. And it was still like having people just rip my face off when uh, I used it. I hated that thing. I used it all through high school. And as soon as I, at one point, one of my brothers, I think filled it with toothpaste to make me mad, which made me happy because I just threw it away. (laughs) Whenever I use one of those fancy two circle things there, what a piece of shick that was. Ha <laughs> ha, I had to stick that one in there. My cheeks, it would shave okay. My upper lip, it would shave okay. My chin, it would do, and it would take some work. My throat, however, it just turned it red. It didn't cut a single hair on my throat. It right. just, like I said, it looked like someone like choked me and left me hairy. You should have used that as an excuse to grow one of those like Quaker Oats guy beards. Maybe. Maybe all these um, 
all these hipsters that we talked about, you know, a couple weeks ago with the big long right. uh, beards that was very trendy for a little while there. I think that's the case. I think their moms bought them electric razors for Christmas and they're like, yeah, don't work. Yeah, used it once and we're like, you know what? I'm never touching that thing again. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> boof, Grizzly Adams, back in style. That's how it came about. I uh, actually have taken to, with a safety razor, like the old, like the kind like your grandfather used to use. Right. Uh, once you can get used to shaving with those and not like cut your face off, right. they actually give a really, really, really good shave. Noted. I make a point not to use the cheapo disposables that my dad always recommended. Like, just use these. They cost eight cents a piece. Okay, dad. It's two blades. So the first blade bends over the hair. The second one cuts off your head. (laughs) I had a full mustache that I did for like a cosplay one time. Yeah. And I wanted to get rid of it before going to the after party. Yeah. So I shaved off the mustache with a hotel corsage. Can I have a razor? One of those, which had one blade on it. One of those orange big ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm looking at it bleed out. Comes with an IV bag, those razors. (laughs) All right. And let's wrap up the week. Uh, March 19th, 1931. Nevada legalizes gambling. Initially for six months to help the sagging economy of, I don't know, cigarro cactuses and Gila monsters that live in the sand out there. But <laughs> it realizes it can make so much money by allowing gambling that they allow it to continue. Thus dragging in Meyer Lansky and the rest of the, the mafia. Right, and also dragging in, like, Carrot Top and David Copperfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and ultimately, you know, Katy Perry's uh, <laughs> residency and Adele's yeah. residency, too. Now, you've been to Vegas. I have been to Vegas. I've been to Vegas a couple of times for work. Yep. It's an interesting city. Yep. I enjoyed the time that I was there, kind of. I wish I was there for not work, but I I haven't ever gone back there for fun because it's a really long flight. Yeah, and uh, it's really hard to get a direct flight, too. So if you're not into taking off and landing. So I've been to Vegas a number of times. What that number is, I'd have to sit and count. I think it's four. And I've only flown there once. So all the others have been road trips. Right. The thing with going to Vegas, if you've never, listeners, here, listeners, if you've never been to Vegas, let me tell you before you book your trip. Five days is way more than enough. A week in Vegas is too long. You will be bored stupid and run out of money because everything's expensive. True. I mean, you think, oh, I can, I'll just get the all-you-can-eat buffet. The all-you-can-eat buffet is great, but you're going to be done with that after a couple of days because it's just, it's too much food. And right. they're not cheap. You know, they're, they're like $30, $30, $40. $40. Shows, all the shows are super expensive. You know, I went to see Penn and Teller, and it was like over $100 to go right. see the shows. Right, right, right. So, and then it's like, who's got money left to gamble? Not me. Yeah. It's a very expensive vacation. If you're going to go... You know, stick to five days and under. Go on work time if you can. Because you do yep. that like eight to four thing in a, ho- in a hotel room where, you know, hotel ballroom where you listen to somebody talk or you look at PowerPoint slides or you argue about stuff on a spreadsheet that doesn't ultimately matter considering, you know, the age of humanity in the universe. And then at five o'clock, everybody goes off and gets completely obliterated. <laughs> and you can expense it all. Ah, man. Well, yeah, that's good. One of my favorite things about Vegas, and whenever people go, I always tell them to go see this. It's very simple, and it's free. When you go into the New York, New York casino from their top entrance over there from the Sky Bridge, you walk in, you kind of take a U-turn to your left, 
and there was a magic store over there. And oh. in the back of the magic store is a glass case. And in that glass case are handcuffs and boots that were used, and it's certified, they're real, used by Harry Houdini. Oh, wow. That's very cool. Coolest thing I ever saw when I was in Vegas was when I, I left the city for just, it's only a few miles out of town, is to go yep. to the um, to the Hoover Dam, which is yes. astonishing yeah, and I've beautiful. Yeah, I've because I have to drive over it to get to Vegas when I do my road trips. I've seen it yep. every, almost every time. Yep. Yeah. That thing's amazing. Yeah, it's huge. I remember getting out of my car because I was very excited to see it, and it was on the first day of summer, like getting out of the car running across the street, running back across the street, opening the car door and saying to my brother, it's really hot outside. <laughs> the, the other thing it's that like was like 112 neat. degrees. Yeah, it's, it is hot there, but it's a dry heat, Bill. It's dry. That, I don't know what that means, that, but it's dry heat. No, no, you know what that means? It means you dehydrate like a lab rat all that right. much faster. Yeah, you're like a tardigrade, right? You just you turn, you turn into skin and that's it. Uh, <laughs> The other thing, which is right where the Hoover Dam is, is the Pat Tillman Bridge, which I also went up on. And it's the one time I've ever been looking down over something and was afraid for my life. That is so high and looking over the dam is so big. I felt like I was in a plane and I just, I had (laughs) to end up taking my eyes off of the ground and like walk my way back because it freaked me out so much. All right, let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. March the 13th of 1950, American actor... William H. Macy Jr., probably Mm. best known for playing the detective in the 1998 uh, remake of Psycho. Oh, that's where I remember him from, for sure. (laughs) Or uh, from Homicide, which was not the TV show Homicide Life on the Street, but was a made-for-cable TV movie called Homicide. Personally, I'm going to know him best probably from Fargo. Yeah, me too. I mean, he's in a bunch of stuff, but I just remember him with, like, you're darn tootin'. Uh, yeah, from uh, from Fargo. Yep. Well, that was sort of a career defining role, I think, for him anyway, as the right. the, the sort of really soft spoken but ultimately very evil villain in that film. Um, Spoiler. Very good movie. And uh, uh, I, I think other people might know him from Mystery Men. I didn't. I don't yeah, remember seeing yes, that movie. Mystery Men. He was the shoveler. I shovel well. <laughs> he was he was really funny in that movie. That movie should have gone way further than it did. It's a shame it did. He's got a very wide brush that he paints with because. He's done, like, silly comedies, like Down Periscope, mm-hmm. an absolute bomb, like the remake of Psycho. But he's also in, like, prestige pictures, like Fargo and also yep. Mr. Holland's Opus. Right. And so, awesome mustache. All right, moving on. March 14th, 1933, English actor Michael Caine, whose voice I just can't do, uh, but he's born in London, England. He's renowned not only for the variety of roles he takes. He's probably best known, at least recently, as being... Alfred in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Probably best known for Jaws the Revenge. A film that he describes as, I hear the film is awful. I've never seen it. But I did see the house that its salary bought, and it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> been in crime movies. He's been in comedies. He's He was in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. He's been in everything, I think, except for science fiction. Unless you call Jaws the Revenge a science fiction movie or the Batman movies, I guess, science fiction. I don't know. Did and, you ever see Blame It on Rio? Yes. Yeah. Where he hooks up with a beautiful 17-year-old girl? Yeah. That's pretty much science fiction, too. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, he, like, everything he's in, he's fun to watch. He was great in yep. Alfie. He was great in um, Get Carter. He's he's just all around great. And he, he's known for taking any script that's put in front of him because it, yeah, he's going to get paid. Yeah. I love that. That work ethic. That's really funny. I'm going to say to the modern audience, probably best known as Austin Powers' father. 
in the last of the three Austin Powers movies? Yes. Very gifted comedic timing. It's that yes. typical dry British humor. Definitely like in, in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels for sure. If you want to see a fantastic performance by him, that is probably the best thing he's ever done. That movie is still hilariously funny. All right, moving on to March the 15th, 1935. American Tony and Emmy-winning actor Judd Hurst, probably best known for whatever reason, playing Jeff Goldblum's father in Independence Day. <laughs> oh, or playing the father in the movie Running on Empty. See that? That's We're going back now. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that movie no, had River uh, Phoenix in it when he was <laughs> still a kid. In all seriousness, he is probably best known for playing Alex Rieger on the TV show Taxi. Yeah. The show was basically built around him. He was the main character. Yes. Although all the other characters are so much more colorful, he's the last one people seem to remember, even the show was centered around him. He was the one that was the most like stable of all of them. He was the one that had the least amount of quirkiness that made right. him funny. And he, played, he was effectively the straight man to an entire ensemble cast. And yeah, yes. in that respect, he it worked really, really well. And yep. again, another another program that is well worth going back and watching because that show is insanely funny. Yeah, I've I've gone back and watched a few episodes on like Hulu or whatever. Yep, or Pluto TV, whoever happens to have it. Yeah, it's amazing how well that show held held up. Held up. Yep. Considering it hasn't been on TV in forty years. Right. Yep. All right. Next up, March 16, 1959, the world's greatest sideman, Flavor Flav, known as, well, William Drayton Jr. is his real name, but we know him as Flavor Flav, the sideman to Chuck D in the probably the greatest East Coast rap band in the history of rap, Public Enemy. I absolutely love Public Enemy, but I don't listen to them. And when I do listen to them, it's like a couple of songs and then I'll take a break and then a couple of songs because that isn't really my wheelhouse, so right. to speak. But I love Public Enemy as a concept because they were like the first real kind of like protest rap music. Yep. They were kind of like the, the original punk rock of rap. You know, just taking that angry youth, you know, emotion. And then comes Flavor Flav, who is just an absolute goofball. Right. He is definitely the sort of Jerry Lewis to Chuck D's Dean Martin. Yeah. And, and in that, it, it works. He's also done stuff on his own. He had, like, the song 911 is a joke. That's all Flavor Flav. That's a public enemy song, but, I mean, Flavor Flav does the lead on it, yeah. Right. And he was a, a it's really... Not, it's not like it's a solo album, is what I'm saying. No, 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 no. But what, what I mean, though, is, like, he, he sometimes steps out of being the sideman to Chuck D to take the lead. Right, yeah, he was okay. also a, a really, a really popular DJ on in New York radio before Public Enemy became popular and famous, mm-hmm. and 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 then sort of jumped out and sort of finished out his. I don't think his career is over or anything, but he did the MTV reality TV stuff. And uh, yep. if you listen to interviews with Chuck D now, he talks about you know reuniting with Flavor Flav is is always fraught with a will he or won't he show up? <laughs> he yeah, may not, he may not appear, but you know that's Flavor. Yeah, his. Stage persona is silly, so to speak. But William Drayton is actually kind of smart. He's a businessman. He owns a chicken restaurant. I forget where. 
But right. I remember my friend Maggie telling me she went to Flavor Flav's chicken restaurant and he's just like sitting there and he's like, oh, hey, how's it going? Just yeah. like, he just hangs out there. Yeah. Well, it, you can go fun. in and get like chicken tenders and meet Flavor Flav. That's the way yeah. it works. Running into Flavor Flav, I'm sure behind the counter at the chicken place or like coming up to your table with a pad in his hand must be something yep. out of this world. Yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to the 17th, March 17th. 1964, a man whose name I cannot say with a straight face, Rob Lowe. For uh. Christ's sake, man, Robbie, Bobby, Robert, anything. Not Rob Lowe. That sounds horrible. <laughs> American yeah. actor, yeah, probably best known for About Last Night with uh, Demi Moore. I remember him in St. Elmo's a Fire. Of other things, too. Yeah, yeah, St. Yeah, Elmo's Fire with Demi Moore. With Demi Moore. Well, he was part of that group. That, that yeah, he's like got Emilio a, Estevez, Demi Moore, yeah, uh, Charlie Sheen, like that whole that whole collective of uh, of people who came out after the Breakfast Club. Yeah, it was like the Prestige Brat Pack. He he also uh, more recently he sh- he plays a ca- I don't know if he's recurring in the other seasons, but he played a character that occurred a couple of times on the show, The Orville, who was from uh-huh. a race of people that excrete a pheromone that makes every human irrespective of gender attracted to him like uncontrollably attracted to him and he was really <laughs> funny as that guy who was just like a scientist who's just like trying to get through the day and everyone in the whole ship is throwing themselves at him all the time <laughs> he was really funny all right moving on to the 18th march 18th 1950 character actor brad dorif or dorif depending on who you talk to that's how they'll tell you it's uh, pronounced who's probably best known for his role in the eyes of laura mars no, <laughs> no not really or Fatal Beauty. Remember that movie with Whoopi Goldberg? Uh, no, he's probably best known for folks in our generation as the voice of Chucky in the Child's Play uh-huh. movies. But he's a character actor that once you see his face, you see him. he's been in a million things. He was in Stephen King's Graveyard Shift. Oh, you know who he was in? Yeah, he was in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest with half of the cast of Taxi. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because Danny, De- Danny, Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd are both in that movie. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. He was also in Mississippi Burning. He was one of the primary villain characters in that film. He has a lot of range, and yep. he's always, always interesting to watch. I always I always like to see his name on the marquee if I'm going to see a movie. Yeah, he does the Comic-Con circuit. He does the autograph does uh, table thing quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, and then wrapping up the uh, week over here, March the 19th, 1947, American actress with an American actor's name, Glenn Close. I like her when she was known as Glenn Far Away. Uh, probably best known for her role in The World According to Garp. <laughs> yes. Or, uh, oh God, I'm trying to think of anything else she was in. <laughs> so Glenn Close got to be very famous with a movie called Fatal Attraction. Yeah. She was the first to date Michael Douglas in a series of problematic relationships in all the subsequent movies that he made. Uh, but yeah, in the movie, she like goes cuckoo bananas and like kills his pet rabbit and feeds it to him and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> that that movie really. I mean, she had done a lot of stuff. She's had a very long career, but that's yes. the movie that really kind of put Glenn Close on the map. People took notice of her after that. Yeah, she was in and Guardians then, of the Galaxy too. She was in Nova Prime. Yes, she was, and she played Corella Deville in a uh, modern re. One of, one of Disney's many remakes of, of their old intellectual property. And I th- think she voiced Homer Simpson's mother on The Simpsons, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, she's done some voice work. I know that. Yep. I just saw her in something recently. I don't remember what it was, but 
I don't want to sound ageist, but she, in this movie in particular, maybe, or whatever it was, it might have been just makeup. It might have been just the way they did her hair. But she yep. looked like Robin Williams and Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> like, I took a picture of it and sent it to my friends. I was like, I couldn't believe this. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So, Mrs. Doubtfire, Glenn Close. This has nothing to do with... The worst song ever. Jeff, this week's worst song ever, I'm using the song incredibly liberally. Okay. This barely even qualifies as a song. As far as I'm... Yeah, as far as I'm concerned. We've had this discussion, or at least clips of this discussion, many times as what constitutes a musician. Yes. Well, our friend over here, Bad Baby, better known as Danielle Brigoli, more colloquially known as the Catch Me Outside, How About That Girl from Dr. Phil. Right. Uh, this is her hit single, Hi Bitch. Hi Bitch. Hi Bitch. I do not sniff it or roll it. No. It do not drip when I pull it. No. I do not run, I reload no. it. No. I do not save it, I throw it. White J's. White Porsche, white wrist, white horse, high bitch, high bitch, high bitch, high bitch. Please stop, please stop, please stop, please stop. Stop that shit. That fit look like you bought it at the kiosk. Like, I, I really don't know what to make of this. This is not my genre. I don't listen to mumble rap, as we have called it. Mm-hmm. This is not anything I listen to. This is outside my my wheelhouse as well. I'm not a hip hop yeah. trap guy, so. No. However, like I've stated thousands of times or at least 133 times before, I love doing this show simply because I get to learn about mm-hmm. at the very least very interesting things and very interesting people. Right. And our friend Bad Baby over here is a very interesting story. Yes. Everybody knows where she got her start. She got her start on Dr. Phil as being a 13-year-old troubled teenager who had a an, an affinity for stealing people's cars. <laughs> she did indeed. And filing false police reports, apparently. So Dr. Phil brings her on. And watching that episode, and I'm sure everybody's seen it because it became just such a meme and all that. You know, she talks with, you know, some street slang and with some street pronunciation and all that. And she says something, it's a little incoherent. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Phil was like, "Do you do you have an accent or something?" It's like to get any squarer. You know, you may as well have Bert from Sesame Street walk out there. <laughs> I was just going to I was just going to make that comparison to Dr. Phil. That's so funny. Or- <laughs> yeah, it's like they, they took Bert's eyebrows and just moved it to his upper lip. And then you got Dr. Phil, do you have an accent or something? And she Early. just, like, laughs at him. And then she went to a juvenile detention facility. Yeah, because she stole somebody's car. Yep. Uh, yeah, they ended up putting her I was watching all this today. They, uh, mm-hmm. they ended up putting her on, like, probation for, like, five years. Dr. Phil had sent her to... They model themselves as like a child rehab center, right. but it's basically just legalized slavery and child right. abuse. Right, right. I can't remember the name of the center they sent her to. Yeah, it was in Utah. Somewhere in Utah, totally right. And like they bring her back on the show. I remember, I didn't watch the show. I don't watch Dr. Phil, but the clips were going around everywhere. Right. And they were like showing her like on this 
farm taking care of horses and stuff like that and they got her all like you know big smile for the camera but that was like all posturing for like ratings and stuff like that like isn't this a good job that we're doing because as soon as she got home the bullshit started up again with her and her mom right it did and but and i'm gonna put this out there she found a a creative outlet for her energies like if you read the news stories about her in the years since then as she's she's made her career sort of work she put out some singles before she was picked up by a record company she signed Mm -hmm. deals with cosmetics companies that she pitched their stuff on her social media and made money she got picked up by a really good producer and and worked with a whole bunch of up and coming like trap artists that are in the same sort of style that she's in, including Megan Thee Stallion. And then when she turned 18, she, she started an OnlyFans page and made like $5 million in two days. Yeah, like overnight. Overnight. Exactly. Yeah. And she was actually laughing about that too. She's like, I literally just turned 18, you thirsty bastards. Right. So, you know, the, the record company model is way different than it was. You know, minutes ago, mm-hmm. uh, you know, way different than it was when we were growing up. I right. remember like going to see bands and they're like, oh, we're going to get signed. We're going to get signed. You know, record companies aren't interested in who can play their instruments well or right. who writes good songs even. All they care about is who's got the clicks. You know, right. this bad Bobby girl, Danielle, you know, she had a social media footprint that was getting tons of hits and tons of uh, clicks and all that. And yes. They just see dollar signs, and that's why they signed her. You know, good, bad, or otherwise, while admittedly High Bitch is here on the worst song ever, it's a perfectly serviceable piece of trap. It sounds like early stuff that Post Malone would do. It sounds like Megan Thee Stallion. It sounds like everybody else who does this style of music. And in that, I thought, well, you know, it's it's pretty cool. Like, I'm glad she found a thing that she was able to do, and it... It's not, I'm not going to go out and buy her record when it eventually comes out because she hasn't released an album yet. All of her releases are digital. Yep. And there's no like collection of them, but her singles have charted. Yeah, she's got 2 million monthly listens on Spotify. Right? I so mean, that's definitely doing well. So. Yeah, I mean, it's enough to live on, that's for sure. Right. Uh, she got nominated for a Grammy, and there was a lot of people that were a little upset about such things because... There were, quote-unquote, legitimate artists that were nominated for the Grammy as well. And I saw an interview with her. I won't, I'm going to say this. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of her. You know, she was a a, a real piece of shit on, on the show, on Dr. <laughs> Phil. They probably presented her way worse than she was. Right. But even that is pretty bad, yeah. you know? Yes. Um, so, I mean, I'm not a real big fan, but... I find her story interesting because they pulled her aside on the red carpet and they said, you know, you're nominated for a Grammy. She's like, yeah, isn't that great? And they're like, well, you're going up against the likes of Cardi B and I think Kim Kardashian was another one. And there's a lot of people who think that you don't deserve to be up against these legitimate artists. What do you say to that? She's like, what do I say? And she just busts out laughing. Right. Well, I, yeah, I, like it, and that's a, and that's like, I'm gonna, I don't generally describe things that way, but that's like, an, that's an ass question. That's just assuming that the person that you're talking to is dumb or failed their way to where they're at, and it's really, right. I think that's really sort of disrespectful on the part of the interviewer, even if you don't like the person's music, you know. Right. I like like her reaction to it, and I like the reaction to the OnlyFans thing. Basically, she said like, you know, <laughs> all of you guys, like I'm like a, da- you know, how many of you guys have a daughter my age? That's a harsh thing to say. 
to the people who are giving you money because they want to see on OnlyFans. Like, I like the fact that she is, she has that, like, the double middle finger up to everybody in the world. I think that's cool. Uh I just don't listen to her music. Yeah. You know what else is really cool, I thought, was she said, you know, for all these people that say that I don't deserve this, trust me, I go in and I put in just as many hours as the quote-unquote legitimate artist. Right. I work just as hard as anybody else. It's just that I got to lift up. That's all. Yeah, nobody's giving her anything. I mean, nobody's giving it to her. She's she's doing the work. Yep. Like I said, not my style of music, but I can definitely appreciate the the path that she's taken and how she's navigated it and managed fame the way that she has. That's impressive for someone who's that young. Yeah. And another thing that I was very impressed with is uh, maybe about six months ago, she started a college scholarship fund. Right. Yeah. Well, like $1.7 million is going into this fund to help, you know, kids out get college educations. And she starts, she says it right out. She's like, I know what you're saying. You never went to college. Why are you giving out money? She's like, well, maybe someday I'll go to college. All right. Probably not. But you should. And I'm going to give you the money to do it. Yep. You know? <laughs> yep. Which I thought was at the bare level, honest. Yeah. And also, you know, pragmatic, which I thought was pretty cool too. She definitely hits all of the, the, the good points that go with the bad. So. Props, props to you, bad baby. And I'm actually just really happy that she was able to like turn all of everybody trying to make her fail into ultimate success. Yes. And if I was her, I would be cranking, crank calling Dr. Phil on the regular. Hello? <laughs> you. Hang up. Yeah. Hi, bitch. And then bang, yeah. phone Hi. goes down. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, bitch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, before we wrap up the show, I do have the answer to my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Uh-huh. The digital green rain that you see at the beginning of the Matrix movies is a code, and that can be decoded. It was actually something before it got coded. What is it? Uh, what are we gonna, looking at? I'm going to guess it's a secret message that if you decode it, it says, the studio is making us make two more of these movies. Don't go see them. <laughs> That is an excellent uh, guess. What it actually is, is sushi recipes. Uh, Are there such things as sushi recipes? It's pretty much like fish and rice. Put fish on rice. And then roll it up. Yeah. I guess (laughs) it repeats it a lot. I don't know if that counts as a recipe. I think that that counts as assembly instructions. uh, Yeah. All right. (laughs) It's like the Ikea of uh, seafood. Exactly. All right. But that is the end of our show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. A special shout-out to James Cosser for our theme music. Thank you for listening to Twibbly, but this week was way better last year. You know, you can find us or message us over at Facebook or Instagram. Just look for Twibbly. That's T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. What's that, girl? You should subscribe to Twibbly and tell your friends. Oh, wait. Never mind. It's just that Timmy kid stuck in the old mine shaft again. Don't be like Timmy. Subscribe to Twibbly, and your dog can listen too.